0: Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians 6. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. So we here we are on Christmas Eve. Right, so this is probably gonna be the the least Christmas Eve ish message that you've ever heard. But it's because I'm looking at what were the Messianic expectations of the Jews at the time of Jesus. I'm looking at that in order to kind of understand how Jesus actually fulfills those Messianic expectations. And so some of you'll know that, that I've been talking about a guy a lot lately named Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, who I appreciate very much and respect very much, not only as a scholar, but as a Christian brother as well. And so there, he has an awful lot to say. And so probably a lot of it are things that are overlooked by most churches and most pastors, because it's not something that we come across very often, frankly, in seminary. These are not things that are taught, not in our day anyway. And, and here's the thing. What, what we have to do as Christians um, is recognize our own blind spots, recognize where we're missing things, because we've been trained to think in certain kinds of ways, and those of us who are born after the Enlightenment, so you know, in the last few centuries, um, we have a, a scientific-ish way of looking at the world and a rational way of looking at the world, and so the the way that we look at it and think about it is that the things that can be seen have priority of place; the things that we can't see. Uh, not nearly so much. We don't think about those things. We don't talk about those things. They all seem a little bit odd to us, and so we avoid them. And And it's sad to say that. I, I've got to prepare the the sermon I'm preparing for the Sunday, um, the, the last Sunday of Advent, which is when I'm taping this particular uh, episode because we're doing so much travel coming up that I, that I needed to get a bunch of things done. So that Sunday, it happens that in Colossians 1— we're, we're, it's it's lifting Jesus up. It is Jesus is the King, and and no one compares to Him. And so in Colossians one, it says He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and that is actually one of the 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 things that that people will say about Christianity. Oh, your make believe invisible God, you know that that there is no such thing. Because we deny anything that we can't see, touch, taste, or smell. If it's not apparent to our senses, then, then it, it, it's not real in that sense. But then it goes on to say, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, he's not just talking there about those thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities that we can see. Paul's speaking about something much bigger than that. He's speaking not just about the things that we can see, those count, but so do the things that we can't see. And that's what he's talking about in Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, what do we wrestle against then? Against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, we got to not just put on the whole armor of God to do that. We have to put on a totally different way of thinking. We have to put on what's really and truly a biblical worldview that takes that seriously, that takes that stuff as seriously as we take the stuff that's, that's present to us. And I think that's, that's a weakness that we have in the church. And I think we don't talk enough about those, those realities that are unseen, that are not visible to us because they're no less real. And that's where our greatest opposition comes from. And I think that we neglect that way too often. There, there, Heiser speaks a lot about this this whole idea, and, and he takes on the difficult passages in Scripture. And I want to look at some of those with you today, right? So one of the things that he talks about is Genesis 6, 1 to 4, which is something nobody talks about because, well, it's just weird, right? So when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. Well, first thing you got to figure out is okay, who are these sons of God? Well, it's always and only used of spiritual slash heavenly beings. It's not used of human beings. Sons of God always refers to heavenly beings other than human beings. And then then they saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, that's a very different kind of language, too. It's different from marrying and given in marriage. They took any they chose. there's There's an almost violent sense of this. It's that they had their way because they had power to do what it is they wanted to do. And then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for his flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And then the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the mighty men of renown. Most of the time we just look at that and think, well, that's just too weird to even talk about. I don't know what it means. Let's move on. Well, Michael Heiser's right. We don't. We don't need to move on from that. We actually need to pay attention to it. We need to see that that the only intention of man's heart was only evil all the time is only a piece of the problem that brings on the flood. There's also what we're told first is this: that angels came and mated with women. And you see some other stuff about this in the in the book of First Enoch, which is not a biblical book. We don't even have full manuscripts of it, but it's quoted multiple times in the New Testament, including places where Jesus will be speaking things that came from there. So what we've got to pay attention to is that, and, and what the way Heiser teaches it is, is that David, when he kills Goliath and his brothers, that's the end of the Nephilim, the 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 children who were the product of of the that um those relationships so that's why it says they were on the earth in those days and also afterwards which would be after the flood even they were there the spirit of these things lived on and so we we've, we've got to think about that and then in the time of babel in genesis 11 god separates and divides the people based on language so that they can no longer cooperate with one another, because they're cooperating to do the wrong thing. Their intention is wrong again. And so then what he points to is Deuteronomy 32. And he only uses typically verses 8 and 9, but I want to go back a little bit and pick up verses 6 to 9. And all this has to do with messianic expectations. These are the things that needed to be reversed. It's not just the effects of the fall in um, Genesis 3 that a, that a first-century Jew would say the Messiah was coming to deal with. And so here it is. Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. And here, now we come to verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, that's Genesis 11 at Babel, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. There's that language again. These are angelic heavenly beings. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So what it says is he fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. In other words, he set them as rulers over these people groups that he has divided things into. And so... There, there are now 70 of those, and so there's 70 rulers that God established. Well, some of those have fallen, and, and that is a problem. And then we see that in Psalm 82, for instance. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Did you hear that? God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, little g, he holds judgment. These things are gods in the sense that they're not human. They're not Big G God. There's only one of Him, but these others He has given authority and dominion and thrones and kingdoms. And He hasn't pulled those back from Him yet. He says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. Who's He speaking to? He's speaking to these little g gods. He's not speaking to humans, but it's the same thing that he would say to humans, but that's not who he's talking to there. He says, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, I, God, said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you will die and fall like any prince. And then we get the psalmist's plea, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And what is it that Jesus tells us to do is to go out into all the nations, preach, teach, baptize, and he'll be with us even to the end of the age. But what he says first is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and then tells us to go make the nations part of his kingdom. Well, when we do that, we're doing spiritual warfare and we need to be more aware of that in our evangelistic work. We are taking territory for God's kingdom, but we're literally taking it and taking people and rescuing them from the dominion of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his Son. They they are now transferred not just from the earthly rulers over them, but they're transferred from the power and the dominion of these other rulers. It's spiritual warfare to do evangelism. We're proclaiming the kingdom of God into places where there are already kingdoms. In, in Psalm 86, it says, there's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. So there's only one of you, but there are none like you among the gods, O Lord. Well, the gods is actually Old Testament language, that they recognize these things are gods in the sense that they rule over. But they're not like him. That's what it says. They're, nor are there any works like you. There's none like you among the gods, and nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, you, and glorify your name for you're great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So part of the Messianic expectation that was there was is that God would rule over the earth, but that would require him to do exactly what the plea was in um, Psalm 82, Right? So it says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. So the nation originally that was his portion was Jacob. And what did he tell to Abraham? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. So he's going to bless the nations through this man, Abraham through the Jews and the point was that they were going to have their place and people would come to them because of the blessedness of their lives as they kept the covenant and lived in the land well they didn't and that became a problem obviously in in Exodus when God goes to redeem his people out of Egypt the plagues if we really study those, what we see is is that they are all dealing with the gods of Egypt. And ultimately, the final god to be dealt with is Pharaoh himself. And he and his army are drowned in the sea. But he is a god, right? So what is, what is it that Moses said to him? Let us go out three days into the wilderness and worship our god. Well there's there's two things there the, the, the understanding the belief was that, that that the territory of any given god and, and pharaoh was was considered to be an incarnation of the god the main god Ra so the the the, the way it was worked was is that your territory was 3 days journey so to go three days into the wilderness was an odd thing because what it said is we're going out from under your control when we go three days out into the wilderness. You're not God there in the wilderness. We're free of you. We're outside of you. But what's odd is they're going to meet their God in the wilderness because what most people would have believed would be that, that no, you don't meet the God in the wilderness. You meet demons in the wilderness like, well, Jesus did when he goes into the wilderness and there meets Satan. So here, what we what we see there in the, in the passage from uh, Exodus is that they've said, we, we're going to go outside of your control because the control of a God is about three days journey in any direction. And then we're going to get out from under you and we're going to worship then our God there in the wilderness, which is to say that you're not him. We don't accept you as God. We are rejecting you as God. We have a God and we're going to go meet with that God. It's a powerful thing. and And so then... What has to be shown is the gods of Egypt are inferior to the God of Israel. Who needs to know that? Two people, right? Two groups of people, the Egyptians and the Israelites. They need to see these things. In order to get them to take the leap to go out into the wilderness to serve their God, they've got to know who their God is, and they've got to know that their God is more powerful than the gods of Egypt. And so that's what the plagues do. They show that God is greater than the gods of Egypt. And then when God's able to do things that their magicians can't do, then it also shows that Moses is more powerful because God's with him. So we we see these things, and we we don't pay close enough attention to them in a lot of ways. And and then, so what we're seeing there is God triumphing over the gods of Egypt, and the gods are not, they're, they're real. God put them there. God created them. Whatever names they're called by are almost immaterial. The reality is is that what Deuteronomy 32 tells us is there are gods over those places. And so when Jesus goes to the land of the Gerasenes, that's not in the land of Israel. When he goes to the land of Gerasenes and he deals with the demoniac who is out there in the tombs, then then that is a signal that, that the kingdom of God is being extended now beyond the borders of Israel. So God's power... It can go further than that. It, it, our God is not limited by geography in the same way these other gods are. And so he goes and he heals this man who has been under demonic oppression during this entire period of time in his life. Jesus sets him free from that and proclaims the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Yahweh has come to this place, the only real God. And the man wants to go with him, and Jesus says, no. He's one of the very few people to whom Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. He, he tells him to stay there as a witness, because now those people need to see that guy and be confronted with him day after day after day so that they will remember this God whom Jesus represented and came and brought the power of God to that place. And you see the same thing so many times in synagogues. Who is it that teaches with such authority? And then he takes authority over demons. In those same places and and that was a part of the messianic expectation that this spiritual oppression not just over israel but over the world as well would be released and that people would be set free from spiritual bondage but the spiritual bondage was real it wasn't some misdiagnosed um, mental disorder no it was a spiritual bondage from demons who were fallen heavenly beings who did have control over those areas. They had a right to have control over those areas because God had given it to them. And so when he sends us out, then what we're to do is proclaim the kingdom of God and bring the kingdom of God. And Jesus is with us wherever we go. So we know that we have the power to accomplish the mission because he promised that he would be with us to the end of the age. And if he's with us, then nothing can be against us. I mean, it's, it's powerful stuff to recognize this. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 3. This is verses 7 to 10. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, And to bring to light to everyone what's the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. These are all familiar things, right? So that, now listen to this part. He says, I was sent to preach to the Gentiles to bring to light for everyone what's the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. In other words, he didn't share this with the angels or anybody else who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul says that we're preaching a gospel, not just to people, but to heavenly beings. And we're proclaiming to them, your day is done. Jesus will reign. Every knee will bow, whether that's human or heavenly beings. Every knee will ultimately bow. All things will be put in subjection under Jesus. We just don't see it yet. We see it in the book of the Revelation. It's important that we recognize that we're involved in spiritual battle when we do this, but we don't do that with fear. We do it with the knowledge that God will ultimately triumph and that Jesus is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit in all that we do and all that we say. But what we have to recognize, I think, is is the reality that Jesus didn't come just to set us free from the power of sin and death. He also came to set the world free from the spiritual oppression it's under, as a result of these, quote, gods who are over the nations who have since fallen. And so every time you see Jesus dealing with demonic powers, then recognize that that is the inbreaking of his kingdom in places that are that are under the authority of other rulers and authorities at the time. It's a powerful, powerful statement, and I think most of the time we overlook it, but most Jews would be looking for the reversal of that Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9 um language, where, where the nations are set free. And, and that's the reason in Isaiah 49.6, and I'm going to end with this, he, he, God, says to the Messiah, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That's not enough. I mean, they're looking for their Messiah and for them to be raised up, Jerusalem to be the center of the world, God to live among them in Jerusalem. Absolutely, that's a messianic expectation that we talk about a lot. But this one, it's too light a thing for you to do that. No, I'm going to make you a light for the nations. Why do you need light? Because you're in darkness, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the expectation was that, that God would overcome those powers of darkness that, that reigned over those Gentile nations, and that that would then be what brings peace on earth when everything is brought finally under the reign of Yahweh. And the, the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 82, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the, all the nations. When that is complete, then the Messiah's work will be done. And that is what Paul refers to as the fullness of the Gentiles. And so tomorrow, today, tomorrow, every day, give thanks. Give thanks that Jesus came as Messiah, not just to the Jews, but to us as well, so that we might all become one as he and the Father are one.